Before we jump into our message, I want to just spend a little time again speaking about our campaign to the month of January and updating you uh, and giving you an opportunity to participate. Uh, today I want to talk mainly just about uh, participation uh, levels. We've had a good start so far, and you can see details on numbers and things out in the foyer in those various uh, spots. Uh, today I want to just talk about the next step we feel is important and healthy for our church is just the breadth of participation. And we realized when we embarked on this project that it was going to take uh, God's miraculous intervention, uh, but part of that is as well as us trusting him with that and being willing to step out in faith uh, wherever we are at and be part of that as well. And I think that's where we're going to see him uh, work in a great way. And so one of the things we're looking at is just uh, encouraging all of our families in our church to be part of it at some level. Uh, here's the, what we believe is the possible church families. This is families, and if we consider a family to be four people, that gives us our uh, total number of regular attenders at our church. Uh, right now, we've had 193 families participate in some way since September when our campaign started. So that might have been a one-time gift or possibly uh, those who have committed and handed in a card and are giving on a monthly or quarterly basis. And the next slide shows our regular participating uh, families. So we have 143 that are participating regularly, either monthly, quarterly, have turned in a commitment card and, and said, hey, we're going to participate in whatever way we can. And so what we'd like to see is that reach the 240 level. And again, it's not about uh, the size of a person's gift and what you're able to do. It's about just being part of it. It's about us being unified uh, together as a church to do that. And the ways we've been encouraging you to do so is if you're already a regular giver to the church, then one side is just your faith commitment that goes specifically to the building campaign over the next two years. Uh, if that's something you haven't taken a step in yet is, is giving generally, then we'd ask you to just make a, a commitment to giving generally to the church, knowing that a portion of that uh, will go to the building because we're designating a portion of our budget every single year to, in a sense, practice a mortgage. So this last year, uh, we paid ourselves $120,000. We operated uh, with a line item and under our usual operating expenses and just paid ourselves $120,000, went right into the building fund so that we could prepare ourselves in a healthy way for the possibility of having some financing on the building. This year, that'll bump up to $150,000 we're committing to in a church. So it's, it's the largest increase in our budget. Uh, it's basically 3% of the 4% increase that we have in our budget this year is just that amount paying ourselves and so we just want to encourage each family, each member, each regular attender to somehow be part, whatever that is, to say, okay, I'm going to step out. Here's what I can do, but I'm making this commitment. I'm going to be on board with our church and want to be part of what God's doing through us in this project. So these are on the back table as you leave. There's more information back there as well. Uh, we want you to pray about that and consider making that commitment uh, by the end of January. Today we're in a series in January talking about membership, the concept of what does it mean to be a member of a church, a term that's used in the Bible, meaning we're a member of the body, but something that's maybe more formalized in our day and age. And what I've found is, is we tend to have one of two extremes when we t think about membership. Uh, one view can be uh, very emphasized on this formal membership thing. And as long as my name is on a membership role in some church, I'm good to go. Whether I'm participating or not, I went through the process and my name's on the sheet. And, and what happens is that formal membership covenant almost becomes more important than the principles that we see in the Bible. That's one extreme that overemphasizes it and makes it too important. The other extreme uh, kind of goes to the other side and will say, hey, I don't see anything about formal membership in the Bible. Therefore, you know, I don't think we have to be a member of a church. You know, we're part of the universal church once we trust Jesus Christ. And so we can minimize the importance of the local church and overemphasize the universal church. Even though when you read the Bible and the 107 times that the Bible uses the word church, 
80 plus of those terms refer to the local church, a local gathering of those people. It's not talking about the universal church, meaning it's nearly, well, really impossible to be a living, breathing, healthy, growing Christian without being committed to some local body of believers. So with that, one of the things we've been talking about and a principle we've been looking at is that it's important for us to realize that the Bible is not intended to set our practice of church simply by the examples that we see in it. Let me say that again. The Bible is not intended to set our practice of church simply by the examples that we see in it. It's intended to set our practice of church by the principles that we learn for it. Here's what I mean. The examples we see in the Bible aren't simply what we are supposed to follow exactly as a church because if that was the case, a lot of our church today would have to be very different. Things that people find are very important today wouldn't be done. You couldn't bring your Bibles. We'd have to tell you, stop bringing your Bibles to church today because they did not have Bibles like we have them today. They would have had one person maybe that had a single letter at best written by one of the apostles, and they would gather purely because that was the only person that had anything of God's word to share. And so people had to come. They were dependent on that person to share and hear the word auditorily. There'd be all kinds of ministries we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have children's ministries. We wouldn't have uh, student ministries. We wouldn't have electricity. You realize they didn't have any electricity in the early church, so uh, we'd have to change things a little bit here in the summer. Could you imagine not having any AC? So what I'm saying is that the Bible isn't given to us to set simply only the practices that we have. It doesn't mean we can't follow their practices, but it's to learn the principles that are given there and then incorporate them into how they would play out in our day to day. And so membership is not important in and of itself, meaning it's not dogmatic and it's not something we should just throw away. A membership of a church should be evaluated by how it best helps us as a church carry out the principles we see about a healthy church and a godly follower of Jesus Christ. And to the degree that a membership process helps with that, it is beneficial. And to the degree that it doesn't, it should be changed or thrown away. And so that's where we are today. And we've asked several questions. One is why church membership? We started in week one with that. And the last two weeks, this week and last week, we're looking at what is church membership? Like what is it contained? Why do we have it put together? And last week, we focused on this up here in our head. What should it be? And we talked about what we believe and the things we commit to in our heads and that we're in agreement with here. Today we're gonna take it from the head down to our actions. What are we willing to do together? What are we gonna commit to doing together as a church and clarifying those things so that we're on the same page? And that's important that we see that and we're gonna see that in the scripture. So let's bow our heads and pray as we begin to open God's word and and look at some of these principles today about membership. Father, thank you for these truths and thank you that you have, in your goodness, given us revelation to guide us and teach us and hold us accountable uh, for how you want us to act and what you want us to believe as we gather as your church. Lord, last week we looked at how important it is for us to believe in unity about certain truths and one of them being that your word is our ultimate authority. Not a person, not individuals, but all authority must submit to the authority of your word and how that has shaped our church and should continue to shape our church and we need to be unified on that as a body. Today as we look at some of the practices we do, we pull them from that basis uh, looking at some of the core things that the early church has done and the church has done throughout time and, and how those things, as we commit to them, shape us as people and shape us as your church. So, Lord, I pray your spirit will open our hearts and our eyes and illuminate this truth to us so that we might know you better, we might love your church more faithfully, and we might be the blessing that you've called us to be in our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So first principle is one we've seen the last couple of weeks, uh, real important as to what uh, membership does. And church membership provides clarity for our unity. Unity was a huge principle uh, you see in the New Testament church. It was important to Jesus. He talked about his disciples being one and their love for one another and their unity that would communicate their uniqueness in the world. And so that's part of what membership is intended to do, a, a lion's share of what it's intended to do. Here's a few passages we've been looking at this week, and you can see how Paul wrote about this to every church he wrote to. In the Philippian church, he said, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and the answer is yes, there is. If there's any comfort from love, yes, there is. If there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So he emphasizes this idea of being unified in what we think and, and how we love one another and being accord, in accord with one another as we go through that. He wrote to the uh, Corinthian church that was facing a lot of divisions and most of that letter was written to address them. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And later he wrote to the church in Ephesus uh, this passage about the gifts that Jesus gives, gives to the church and how they're specifically to operate. And it says he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. So he's talking about uh, some specific gifts, some of the leadership and teaching gifts that Jesus designed for the church and the purpose for them, he says, is to equip the saints, which is the whole body of Christ, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So he's comparing unity of our faith to mature manhood or growing as Christians, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in this passage, in these passages, we see the importance of this principle. I remember one of my pastoral ministry professors when I was in seminary, uh, he'd been a pastor for 15 years uh, before he became a professor and he shared with our class in one of our pastoral ministry classes, he said, he said 80% of pastoral ministry is dealing with conflict within the church disagreements and those things. And he says, if you are gonna be a healthy church and if you're gonna be a pastor who's effective at leading a church in a healthy manner, then you have got to become an expert in conflict management. Now we are just, you know, fuzzy cheek young guys, some younger than others. I had a previous career, so I was a little older in there, but I was new in terms of moving into pastoral ministry. But I still remember those words, even though we only spent a couple days in that unit because there was so much to cover, he made it sound like that was one of the most important things that he had to do. And after 14 years of ministry, I can honestly say that he was 100% correct. Whether it's keeping a leadership team on the same page with a number of people on it, keeping a staff all moving in the same direction, dealing with divisions and disagreements within a congregation that come up. It's like herding cats sometimes as a church pastor trying to keep everyone moving forward in a healthy way. Church, churches are prone to splitting and disagreements and church members and people are prone to division and always falling into arguments. It's just what we do naturally. In fact, one of my favorite church jokes pokes fun at that a little bit. There is a, a man who uh, was deserted on an island all by himself, and he'd been there for years, and no one had come by to rescue him. And, and all of a sudden, a boat came by, and he made a fire and, and was signaling, and finally the guy in the boat saw him and, and turned over to the island, and as he got off the island, he saw the man, the man hugged him and said, oh, I've been here for years, I'm so glad you, you, know, you came to get me. And so as the man was kind of helping him, he looked under the island and he said, there's three huts there. And he said, Wait, are you the only one here? Are there other people? He says, I see three huts. And he goes, what are they? He says, what's that hut there for? And he says, oh, that's my home. That's where I lived. I built that to provide some protection for me while I was here. And he goes, wow, that's, that's really neat. He says, well, what's the second hut over there? He says, oh, that's my church. 
before I go to church because I'm a Christian and I like to worship God on Sunday, so I go to church there. And he says, oh, okay, so well, what's that third one over there? He says, oh, that's where I used to go to church. And basically it just shows that you don't even have to have any other people. We don't even agree with ourselves all the time. And we'll split even if we're the only one in the church. So unity is incredibly important. And so one of the best principles I've learned about church conflict is not just trying to resolve it once it's there, but heading it off at the pass. And one of the ways you avoid conflict is making sure that we're clear and consistent on who we are in advance, and everyone knows who we are in advance, not just one person. And that helps avoid conflict as we go forward. So here's what we're gonna look at today, some of these things. The first thing we're gonna look at is it clarifies our commitments. That's the largest point of our message today, and we're gonna look at five commitments that we've made as a church, uh, as church members, that we believe capture a big portion of what the Bible tells us we are to do as a church. Now these aren't exhaustive, but I think what you'll find is that everything that we are called to be and do as church members or Christians can fit within these arenas. Okay, the church, when we gather, isn't designed for us to accomplish all these things when we gather. This is almost like a coaching time where we learn, hey, here's what we're to do, here's to remember what we're to do, and how can we organize and go out and do that as we leave here. So this is part of our experience here, but it's to set us up for a lot of other things as well. So here's uh, what we can expect, uh, and, and this is, I think, important. What you can expect from your church as you commit to your church and what your church should be able to expect from you. We are a body fit together that uh, relies on each other. So the first commitment we make is a commitment to worship, a commitment to worship. We want our regular members and our people in our church to make that a commitment in their lives. That should encompass everything we do, should be worship, but one of the ways we help that come about is by gathering regularly to worship and be encouraged and to hear God's word and to sing and, and all those things that can help us uh, in that manner do so. Colossians 3.16 is one of the many passages that captures this very simply and clearly. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So he's talking to the church in Colossae and he says these two key things. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, and then singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. That shapes a lot of the very simple service of worship that we have created here at Grace. Two key things, we wanna praise and sing and be grateful and thankful and celebrate who God is and then we wanna hear from God's word and encourage one another in that manner in a way that allows us to go and live as God's people. As a member of our church, we want you to commit to that, that that's a regular part of your uh, life and your growing as a Christian. And as a church, as our leadership, and I say as a church leadership because the leadership is not the church. When you say, hey, our church should do this, what you're saying is that I should do this because you are part of the church, we are just a portion of it, but we as your church leaders commit to providing enough opportunities for all of those who want to participate and are committed to this church to have a place to come and worship on a regular basis. And so as our church grew, we added another service. And as it grew again, we added another service. And what we are here to do is not to do worship for you, but to lead and organize and make sure that every Sunday, if you're a member, as our membership grows, our responsibility is to make sure every member of our church has a place to come and worship. And that when our members come, they hear music that points them to God and allows them to celebrate and be thankful. They hear a message that's God-focused, that's biblically-based, that's Christ-centered, and that applies to your life personally and practically so that when you leave, you know how you are to live as a Christian. That's what we are called to do. Our unique roles are called to do that. But it's a partnership where each of us are involved. And so you see that membership is a commitment on both hands. Where we can't do more as a church body unless we have people who are committed to being part of it. 
your church staff can't do all the things that need to be done. We're a partnership. And so as we commit to each other, we're able to accomplish that. The second thing we call to commit to is a small group or small groups. Small groups, as you know, in January uh, was one of the times we promote these regularly, and this is a core component of who we are as a church. In fact, a part of our philosophy is these are the two arenas in which the gathered church operates each week in our, in our church model. Okay, we have our large corporate gathering, and then you have your small uh, group gathering, and we believe those are the two areas that we gather as a church. And then after that, you're missionaries outside that. The goal of church was never to try to meet as often as possible, and as, if we can meet here every single night, then we're the church. You're still operating as the church as missionaries out in our community every time you're not together. But these two arenas are the areas where we fail. Here's where we gather and exhort and encourage, particularly in a structured way, in order to accomplish the other things. Uh, Acts chapter 2 captures this, one of the passages that does this well. And it says, and day by day, this is the early church, attending the temple. They would often meet in the temple uh, 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 porch, portico out there for a larger group and then they would break bread in their homes. So they'd be in a larger gathering and they'd be in their homes breaking bread. They received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we're going to see in a minute one of the things that happens uh, as we do this is we become a witness to our community and other people see what God's doing in our lives and they become saved as a result. And that's why we feel this model is very important. It has us as a corporate gathering here. And one of the things we do as a church staff is we continue to push every year to move our small groups out into people's homes for several reasons. One is it allows us to not be restricted by this little building that we have here for the number of groups we have. The second thing, though, is even more important is that it moves the church out into neighborhoods. And just like they broke bread in their homes, people notice, I have neighbors that are always asking me that are, are not believers I've been able to have conversations with, but it's a long haul. And they constantly say, are you guys having one of those Bible parties again? Because when we host a small group, there's all these cars that are parked in the neighborhood during that time, and they want to know what's going on. A number of you are here because you first were invited to someone's home for a small group or some kind of a fellowship, you would have never stepped foot in this place for the first time. But after meeting someone and going to their home, that was very different for you and that was a bridge for you to come here. And we believe that's very important in our community and helps us accomplish both of these things together. So we want you to commit to a small group community that's why we continue to emphasize that. But we as your church leadership or staff commit to training, developing, and recruiting small group leaders. We are always building into them and helping them grow as leaders. We're always recruiting them. We often uh, require our small group leaders to have an apprentice with them all the time and that they get to co-lead at times because as our church grows and more people come, we need to be able to start more and more small groups for every person who comes and commits. So we work diligently at that to make that happen. We work at creating small groups that address people's needs in a lot of different areas, whether it's marriage, whether it's the financial ones that you've heard. Uh, we're in the midst of piloting another ministry this year that will kick off uh, next year or this fall. So we're always looking at what are the needs of our community and our church body and how we, we provide ministries that can do that. So as you commit to it, we commit to making those possible. The third one is serving, serving. So we have worship, we have small groups, and we have serving. Part of the body uh, is so that we can serve one another. It's part of what 1 Corinthians 12 is all about. But 1 Peter 4 says that in a real simple verse, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Paul's or Peter's talking about spiritual gifts in this case. And he's saying, uh, what's a scriptural truth, that anyone who's trusted Christ as their savior and has received the Holy Spirit, which comes with that trust, is given a spiritual gift. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, every single member of Christ's body has a spiritual gift. And there's a variety of spiritual gifts. 
So we want you to commit to serving and using your gift. That's what God says is your stewardship of it. And so as you commit to serve, you commit to be part of the body. This is where we've talked about, I've talked about the church having at least, when I say church, I'm talking about just those gathered here, not the church, uh, the actual church, but the gathered group of people. Sometimes we have fans and then we have players. But in the true church, in those who have trusted Christ as their savior, there should only be players. There should be no fans in the true church because every single true church participant has a gift that calls them to serve one another. We know that in this gathering there's fans and we're okay with some fans because there's people who are examining and checking out this Christianity thing and, and we totally understand that. We are love the fact that you're here and we want you to have an opportunity to hear about him and take that step. But if you've taken that step, you should not be a fan anymore. You should be participating in this and stewarding the gift that God has given you. And we wanna help you with that by showing you the different ways that you can serve. And not all of them are the same. They're all important, but not all of them are the same. The Bible talks about gifts of hospitality. Do you know that some of the people in our church who I've seen had the greatest impact are those who have the gifts of hospitality and they said, hey, we'll open up our home every semester for a small group or every other semester. And I've seen those families do that and people meeting in their homes every week, learning the word of God, praying for one another, serving one another. And because they open their home, they witness that life change right there in their own home simply by opening. They never led a small group. They never taught. They may have not done anything other than opening up their homes, and that's a spiritual gift that provides a, a space for people to do that. Some people have gifts of helps, and they just love to come alongside and assist, and, and, and if they're kind of the behind-the-scenes uh, behind type people. You can do that as well. Those are every bit as important as gifts that maybe you see up front and people tend to put too much importance on. Every gift is necessary in the church. And what we want to encourage you to do is say, don't be a fan in your church. And we believe the two key areas in which you can use those gifts, at least in our gatherings, is on Sunday mornings. We have all kinds of opportunities for you to love and serve each other or during the week in your small group. You might open your home. You might you know, say, hey, I'll bring snacks. I love to just do that kind of stuff. So you bring all the snacks to your small group. Or maybe you organize your small group and create your little prayer chain within there. And you love to administrate and organize. And you bring that group gift to your group or whatever that might be. Uh, you bring those group groups together. And so find a place that you're already engaged. We're not asking you for more time. We're saying when you're here on Sunday or when you're in your small group, Use the gift that God's given you. Our church does not grow when you don't use your gift. That's what Ephesians 4 told us, that as we use our gifts, it builds up the body of Christ. And so we want to call you to do that. We commit to providing opportunities to help you find your best fit. One of the things you'll learn about us at Grace is we aren't going to stick you in a spot and leave you there forever. Hey, once you're there, you're committed for the next 99 years. You sign a contract. Nor are we going to say, hey, once you commit, you're here every single Sunday and every single small group, and you're the one that does this every single week. We have thought through the, the, just the life space and realized this isn't your full-time job. It should be a priority and we're gonna ask you to commit, but a lot of times for teaching roles, we'll say you're on a month or you're off a month. You're on a month, you're off a month. Or if it's small groups, we take different seasons off. You don't have a small group maybe in the summer. We have three seasons for our small groups and we'll often tell our small group leaders, maybe take one of those off of the three. We want you to be balanced and sometimes you're being served and other times you're serving others. We wanna put you in a spot where you're passionate. We don't want grumpy servants, right? And when you're serving in an area that you're not gifted and passionate, you're gonna be grumpy and guess what? No one else wants to be around you either, right? We believe when you find your spot, you're excited and passionate about it and you're gifted at it and it blesses other people. And so we're gonna work with you to do that. That's our commitment to you and your commitment is to be available to use your gift. The fourth one is to witness, witness to be a witness to our community. 
as a church. And so we commit to that as, as believers. I love this passage of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. Jesus says some things in a very general way, but they're all encompassing. He says, you, speaking to the followers, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Here's what I believe Jesus is saying in this passage, and he's using two metaphors to communicate it. When he's talking about our saltiness, he's talking about our internal character or our internal righteousness. And in their day and age, salt was a preservative for things, okay? It wasn't something you seasoned with. It was something that preserved things, you know, in their, in their society. And so he's saying, hey, church, we're a preservative in our community. Our community is naturally going to decay and get decrepit and go downward. But we as Christians come and preserve it and we build it up. And it only happens when we maintain our internal integrity and character, when our righteousness in tide is strong. That's our witness. So when you go to work, you're a witness. You don't even have to say anything. And I'm not saying don't say anything, but I'm saying the way you work, the way you handle yourself there, the way you do your business, the way you teach, the way you're a student, the character that you show that's different than a majority of how things are done around us stands out. And you are a preservative in our community when you handle yourself with integrity within our community. Then the second part, he says, is you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I think Jesus' metaphor here is again an an exhortation to us as Christians to not just huddle up together in one little spot like in the church here and say, hey, let's do everything we can just as Christians. I'm gonna have a Christian barber and a Christian mechanic and I'm gonna buy my food at a Christian grocery store and, and a Christian, you know, whatever, everything's subtle. That's like putting it in a basket and hiding it. And he's saying, let your light shine in the world. We need to go out into the world and be a light in a dark place and keep our saltiness inside and keep our position in the world outside to allow us to shine to people who desperately need to see that light. That's our witness. That's why I love to see our church leave and see you guys and hear about you guys. So many people come to this church from hearing about people that they know out in the schools or out in the business or whatever, and I can talk to them, oh, do you know this person, they're law enforcement, they're border patrol, whatever, and suddenly they start to put together, wow, all these people that I really respect in this workplace have this one thing in common. They go to grace, and they believe Jesus Christ is their savior. That becomes our witness in our community by how we conduct ourselves. What we do as a church is commit to providing an environment that welcomes those people and proclaiming the gospel to those whom you invite and bring here. We give thought to what it's like to step inside here as a guest for the first time. And we want those people to feel welcome and loved. Even though they may not be ready to cross that line yet, we're not gonna say, hey, you're part of the church until they trust Christ, but we want them to know you're welcome to come and hear about this Jesus, and we wanna let them know that they're guests with us, and we're considering them. We speak to them every single week. You probably get sick of hearing us always addressing the guests in here. You're always gonna hear that. So if that sickens you, you need to find a different place because we're always going to be thinking about those who are coming here for the very first time. They're our guests, and we want them to hear about Jesus as well. Lastly is giving, giving. So these are our five commitments as members of our church. Here's some passages that address this. Second Corinthians nine, Paul says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So we see this idea of being uh, generous. Christians should be people who are generous and they're people who trust that God's going to provide for us, that our sufficiency comes from him and he's going to provide for us as we do so. Proverbs 3 gives another good principle we see throughout the scriptures. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So the principle there that we see throughout scripture is the idea of priority. That in our, in our serving or our giving, God's the priority. He's the first person that we consider as we do that. And, and as we do that, it blesses the rest of our belongings afterwards. In fact, uh, this is a principle we see throughout the Old Testament that I think some of us miss. And I think it's important for us to remember this because as a church, here's how we've become nowadays. We've become so pragmatic in our views of things that we forget that when we give, we're not giving ultimately to our church. We are giving to God. It's an issue between you in God. And I don't mean that to dismiss the fact at all that you do give to your church practically. So that you should just, you know, not care at all how your church handles it. I'm not saying that. You should give some thought to that and make sure you trust the church that you're giving to and that you trust them in every aspect of who they are. But what I am challenging you to think about is if you constantly use the fact, well, where does it go? Or you have all these questions about your church and you fail to stop and realize that first and foremost, you give to God, not your church, then you're the only one really that stands to lose on that. This is a principle that God pulls out all through scripture uh, from the very beginning of his people. If you remember when he pulled his people out of Egypt and formed the nation of Israel, the Passover, he said, I'm going to pass over the city of Egypt and every firstborn son will be put to death unless you put the blood of an unblemished lamb over your doorpost. And he said that primarily for the Israelite people. And as you know what happened, all the Egyptian firstborn kids were killed and all the Israelites were preserved. But part of that was God's judgment and saying, hey, I did that in grace. And so he set up an institution for the Israelite people to remind them of that principle, that I redeemed your firstborn sons. And so every Israelite from that point on had to redeem their firstborn child. And so when the first child was born to any family, they either had to offer that child, which God would never have asked them to do, or they took a substitute from their flock and they offered that lamb or that goat as a substitute for their child. That first, the first of their flock was to redeem the firstborn of their children. And he was setting a principle for them everywhere he went. The first fruits were the same thing. You see that in this passage. The first fruits were the first crops that brought any kind of fruit at all at the very beginning. They'd have a ceremony early on in the harvest. And you brought everything of the first fruits and you presented that to God. And what you were saying is that God, you provided this. We trust you with it. And now because we've given you these first fruits, we know that you will bless the remainder of the crop that is to come. And so when you set aside the first fruits, God blesses the remaining fruits. He did that with the animals as well. Do you realize that every animal that an Israelite had, the first child that was born to that animal was to be sacrificed to the Lord. After that, the rest of them belonged to the the herdsmen. But the very first always went to the Lord. And if you offered it to him, he promised to bless what remained. If you didn't, then what was left was cursed. That was how he reminded his people of who was priority. In fact, even when the Israelites went into the land of Israel, sometimes you don't see this unless you read the book of Joshua holistically, the very first city they conquered in in, uh, Canaan, do you remember what the name of the city was? Come on, a little Bible trivia. Jericho, remember the walls of Jericho? That was the first city Joshua was to conquer. And if you read the story of Joshua, you'll realize that city, God said, everything that you get from that first city is dedicated to the Lord. You destroy every living thing and it was offered as an offering to the Lord and everything that you keep 
all the gold, all the silver, that's all set aside and dedicated to the Lord and eventually was used in the temple or their worship place. Every single bit. The other cities, if you look after that, he said, as it was typical then, if you conquer it, you get the cattle, you get the, you know, you get everything. It all went to them and provided for them. But the very first city was set apart unto the Lord to bless the remainder of it. And here's what happens. You can read this. One person didn't obey that. His name was Achan. He took and kept some of the things in, in Jericho for himself. And so when they went out, fight the next city in line, which was Ai, the Israelites were completely slaughtered. And they came back and Joshua went, what the heck, God? You, know, you sent us in here, what's going on? And God told them, someone in your camp did not follow my instructions. So they went through a whole process until they identified Achan, and then they had to deal with that issue. I'm gonna leave you to read about it yourself. This is a principle that I think runs through the scriptures. You see, God gave his firstborn son for you and for me so that he could redeem the remainder of us so the rest of us could be holy. He gave his very firstborn for you and for me. And when we treat our stuff as if it's ours, we hurt ourselves, not God, not your church. I say this because I want you to experience everything that God wants for you. I'm not saying that the other practical things aren't important. I'm just saying generosity and how we treat our stuff is an issue between us and God. And we'll get into our practices to talk about some of the practical things in that area as well. But let me just say this. I'll, I'll get into it when we get to the next one. Those are the three things I think we've covered that well. The last principle I want to talk about is it clarifies our practices. So those are our commitments, and I believe they're not exhaustive, but I think within those commitments, every other thing that God calls us to do fits within that. Because in our giving, our giving is not just to the church. Our giving is just to people. We should be generous to those in need. We should set aside money in our lives to give to others who are just in difficult circumstances. Bring a meal to them. Come alongside them and help them in, in desperate situations. We should be a people who always think, what you give me, God, is not just for me to spend on my family. It's for me to use as a blessing to those who are around me. And as we do that, we'll relate to our resources differently. But it, it clarifies our practices as well. This is stated in our Constitution, which is another document that kind of comes with our membership practice. It helps us understand how are we going to carry some of these things out. And our annual meeting that we're doing tonight is part of this commitment to practice things in a consistent and orderly manner. It provides a healthy process to uh, affirm healthy leaders, that not just any group in the church can decide, hey, let's have these people as leaders and kind of take over the place. It decides how we're going to spend our money. Do you guys know, uh, can the pastor in our church spend money any way he wants? You probably should know that. That might be one of the reasons you're saying, I'm not giving anymore. I mean, who knows how he's going to spend that? Who knows how much that guy makes? Our Constitution defines some of that. Do you know that if you gave $2 billion today, $2 billion, that would be a huge gift. All right, my bad. I have a bad Trump impersonation, but just trying to lighten you up a little bit. If you gave $2 billion today to this church, it would have zero impact on what I make or what any of our staff makes. Our Constitution helps define that. Our, we aren't paid based on how much money our church receives. That's designated in our budget. Our leaders help determine the bigger budget. We use a UISD pay scale uh, for our positions and we prorate it based on the number of days our pastors work or what their schedule or their job description is. And so they're paid fairly and a livable wage for our community, but it's not based on how much money you give. Now your giving does affect whether we get paid or not, but it does not affect how much we make. 
We just don't feel like that would be a healthy way to do it. And so this makes a commitment to our pastors to be paid a livable wage, but it also is a commitment back to say, it's not about what our church gives. If we give more money, we're able to do more ministry or hire more people to accomplish the things that we are called to do as a church. That helps bring unity. Do you know that I can't write a check here at our church? I can't go in and say, oh, I wanna write you a check and do this. We have systems set up in our church so that one person would cut a check and a different person could sign a check so that no one has the freedom to just go in and take money that easily. Uh, even on Sundays when we receive our offering, the, the men, the lay people that collect it and go back and count it are different than the people that come in in the middle of the week to count or on Mondays to count it again and make all the deposits so that it's written and they double check it to make sure the same amount that came in on Sunday is what's there on Monday and none of those are, are us pastoral staff people. We don't touch any of that at all. Any of you had any idea why that is? Because we believe that trust is so important for a church to be healthy. All those things are part of our constitution and how we handle things or our practices. Now, is any of that stated directly in the Bible? Absolutely not. If we went by what the Bible said, the money was laid at the apostles' feet. So I'd say, hey guys, let's do offering, bring it right up here. I'll just, I hope I got big enough pockets to hold all this and you gotta trust me that I'm gonna take care of it the way it needs to. Maybe two people traveled together in that day for some level of accountability that they had in their day. But we live in a different day and age than they did there, and I think because of it, uh, there's maybe need for some different levels of accountability. And so that's what our constitution, that's what membership does. It clarifies how we'll go about determining our budget, how we'll affirm it, how we'll give a report for it every year. Do you know that we have to give a report, we'll do that tonight, for every dollar that's spent and, and whether we were over budget or under budget and we are responsible for that. That there's a whole leadership team that you guys affirm that's part of that budget and examining it throughout the year. Let me ask you this, how many of you have someone other than you and your spouse examine your budget and you're accountable to them every single year for your budget? Your personal budget, I mean, right. So what you gotta realize is that your church is way more accountable and way more people see what we do with our dollars than you even do personally within your own home. And it's one of the reasons why we've been in the black every single year, why we are in a healthy spot financially as a church and we're, even though it's a slower process for us, we're gonna do it in a healthy way as we go forward because of some of these practices we have in place. See, we live in a day and age that does not like commitments and doesn't wanna be held accountable and responsible to anything. However, I doubt if any of you or very many of you wanna be known as a person who is uncommitted. So I wanna encourage you, I want this series to encourage you to commit to something that's healthy. Not perfect, not without any problems at all, but we all are committed to things that are imperfect. The question is, is it as healthy as it possibly can be and is it healthy enough for me to make the commitment that God would want me to make? And I'm not trying to get you to become a member of our church. Okay, if you're new with us or you're new in this process, feel no pressure at all. Please don't feel like I'm pushing you to become a member uh, too soon because we're not. We want you to find out about our church. We want you to hear who we are. We want you to better understand what you're committing to and you have absolute permission to do that. But some of you have been here for a while and you still haven't made that commitment. And I just wanna ask you one of two things. If you don't feel you can commit to this church, then it's unhealthy for you to be here. I wanna free you to find a church that you feel more comfortable with and make that commitment there because being uncommitted is not helping you at all here. You're, you're kinda like the, the boyfriend who's dated his girlfriend for like nine years now and everyone's wondering, when is he gonna pop the question? Then it's 10 years and it's 11 years and everyone's wondering, don't, don't be that guy, right? The church is 
the most important organization on this earth to God. He sent his own son to purchase this mess right here that I'm part of. And I believe he wants us to be committed to it, as imperfect and messy as it is, so that we can become the people that he's called us to become. And my prayer is that you would consider that. I believe there is not another organization in the world that if you will commit to it, will impact you in every single area of your life, like your church will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you for the, for the gift of your church, a gift that cost you infinitely more than any one of us would ever have to pay to be committed to your church. Lord Jesus, thank you that you modeled these commitments better than any of us and didn't just model them but you fulfilled them perfectly so that you could be a substitute, a sacrifice on our behalf. That when things get tough for us and, and we confront truths in your word about your will and we say, God, I can't do that. I don't want to obey that. That's going to cost me too much. That Lord Jesus, you obeyed anyway. That one of the most beautiful worship scenes in the scriptures was that night you were betrayed and you got on your knees and you pled with your father. Father, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. Not my will, but yours be done. And you knew, you knew it would cost you everything and yet you worshiped anyway. You received our punishment for how flippant and how flaky we often are in our worship. You were treated like you did what we did so we could be treated like we did what you did. Lord, you said you did not come to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for others. You, God, served us. And now you want us to be part of that great plan by serving one another. So God, help us as your church. Lord, draw us as your church. Grow us as your church. We desperately need you, and we desperately need each other. So grow this church as only you can, Lord, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.